Thank you, worship team. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. I want to honor him in all that I do. Wow. God is so amazing. I don't know if we could ever get over it. It's such an amazing and loving God. Sometimes I look at my own life and I go, man, you know, why does God love me? What, what's lovable about me? I, I'm probably the best person to, to disappoint my wife or, or my children or, or some of you, let alone God. But he still loves me unconditionally. It's amazing. What an honor to be loved by God. Father, as you prepare our hearts, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to what you have to say. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I've entitled the service we have, or the message we have, a purpose. Believe it or not, God has a purpose for you and for me and for each one of us. Last week we began to think about the mission of God's church. And we discovered that, that the church is not a building. The church is you and I. And everyone else who is saved. Everyone else who has a Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts. They are part of the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is a family. The church is a family, the family of God. And we discovered that when we come to, together, we come to worship, we come to fellowship, we come to disciple one another. And, I, and I'd like to, at some point, cover some of those topics at a later time. But the purpose of the church is not simply to come together to a meeting place, to meet together. Last week, we introduced the idea of the church's mission and discovered that it is Jesus who has given us a mission. You know, sometimes we think, okay, well, what is the mission of the church? Let's sit down and let's figure out what we're here for. What is our mission in this church? Well, Jesus has already said, I've got a mission for you. You don't have to figure it out. I'm telling you your mission in plain view. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 28. And I know I mentioned this last week, but I think we've got to do it often to, re to remind us what the mission is that Jesus has for us. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. 
This is the mission that Jesus has given the church. I don't care if you're a church from across the street, across the city, across the country, across the world. Jesus' mission is still the same. Every church has the same mission. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. One of the things that we discovered last week is that we're not doing a very good job of this. Very few churches are. We're not doing a good job of this. We're not doing a good job of this because we've missed the most important part of this mission. And we mentioned it last week. It's unity. We have forgotten to stand together as a church. We have ideas of what we need to do, but we, one person's going that way, another church is going that way, another organization's going another way, individuals are going their own way. And last week we, we saw that Jesus was in desperate prayer. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Let's go to there. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus didn't have much time left. He knew this was, his mission was on, on earth was done, but he knew that we had an extended mission. And he knew that we needed prayer, and so he prays to his Father, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. I'm not just praying for my disciples here. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It's all of those who become believers, even today and tomorrow and for the future. And he says that all his prayer is that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I don't know if we could emphasize this enough. Jesus knew what he was doing. He had a very... He had this passion for the lost. He had this passion for all of us in this world. And he knew why he was praying. He knew that for us to be one would be the greatest witness, the greatest testimony, the greatest proof that he is the Christ. I think he knew that there's no greater witness than the unity of the church. And, and he tells us so that the world would believe. He's far smarter than I am. I would pray powerful prayers if I knew the results. Jesus knew the results. He knew that if we would be one, we would be a powerful church, a powerful message. And then there's another side to this. We are the body of Christ. Do you know what that means? Jesus is the head 
We are the body. What would happen if your arm was out of place and your back instead of on the side? Your foot was in your mouth. <laughs> what would happen if, if, if your leg was on somebody else's body? You know, there's no unity there, right? You couldn't work together. If you said, well, okay, leg, I need to walk, but that, that leg is on somebody else's body, it's impossible. We are the body of Christ. I don't know if we understand that. For, the, for a body to work... It has to be together. There's another way to look at it and say, okay, here I am, I'm walking down in the woods, walking through the path, and I'm looking up at the trees, and next thing you know, I stumble because I've run into something because my eyes were not in unity with the body. That's what happens in the body of Christ. We stumble as a church because we've, we've got our eyes somewhere else. We're not looking to where God wants us to go. John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity isn't possible without love. It's just not possible. Jesus wasn't praying for the church just simply to have unity in the church. His prayer was, for proof, for evidence that will convince the world that he is the Lord Jesus Christ, sent to redeem us. Again this morning, I want to say that Francis Chan has very much influenced some of my thinking on missions, the mission of the church, and, and uh, I'm going to be using... Um, his material in, in this message. I'm not following any outline that he has, but just some of the points that he brings out. So first of all, our life has purpose. Our life has purpose. So I want to take a few moments and just ask you some things, and I'm going to call for a response from, from several people. So here's a question, or questions. Why are you here? Why are you alive? Why did God create you? Uh, what, what is your purpose on earth? These are just questions to give you an idea of, of, of answering. How do we answer that? Why were you created? Why has God got you here? Anyone? What purpose? What plan? To be a disciple. Any others? Be a witness. Communicate with them. Glorify them. Worship him. Encourage others. Those are all good things. But somebody mentioned something that kind of has an umbrella over the whole thing. We were created. You were created. Your purpose on this earth is to glorify God. I know that is much more complicated than just raising our hands and praising the Lord. But our purpose is to bring glory to God. John chapter 
or Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, God says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. God created you and me for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We were created so that in all things God may be glorified. In all things. We were created by God to glorify God. Does that give us meaning in life? It gives me meaning. Considering Satan's existence and man's fall into sin, as well as God's eternal plan for us, what part do we play in God's plan as Christians? I think we had a couple of answers that kind of uh, hit on that. What part do we play in God's plan as Christians? A few answers. Making disciples. His spokesman. To take care of our brothers and sisters. To know him, yes. Salvation. Whoa. Isn't that the magic word? If we look at scripture, God has actually called us to two things. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. If you want to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 22. Verses 37 to 40. Jesus gives us these words. He says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Love God first. And then he says, well, the second one is just like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything that Jesus has taught, everything that the Bible teaches us, hinges on these two things. We will fulfill every command that God has given us, every task, if we love God and if we love one another. Now, when I look at this, I go, well... <laughs> You know, I love you, God. That's pretty easy. I mean, after all, um, how can you not love someone who is totally flawless, totally perfect? How can you not love someone who loves you with all the possible love that could be given? If somebody loves me like that, I can love them very easily. It's easy to love God. But loving our neighbor, <laughs> to love someone who is totally flawed in their actions, it's difficult to love people who always disappoint us. It's difficult to love people who constantly hurt us. I know they, they don't necessarily mean it. Sometimes I say things or do things that hurt other people or disappoint people. It's not because I want to do that. 
happens. So it's hard to love me. It's hard to love each other. Because we constantly do that. Yet, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We're flawed. We're, we're human beings. We have to understand that you and I are very much the same. We have to understand that as much as I disappoint you, you're going to disappoint me. It happens. So often I, I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off or somebody goes through a red light and I stop and I go, thank you, God, that I was able to see that and prevent an accident. I'm not there shaking my fist at that person. I used to. But somewhere God got a hold of me and said, you know how many mistakes you've made? And every time I make a mistake, I am glad that God moved in the way to prevent an accident because of my mistake. So I'm thankful for those people. So I'm also thankful for those that I can stop, where, where I can prevent an accident and not get upset. This takes us back to Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Understanding that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me, for all of us. And understanding that God has already given us eternal life. We still have a work that we need to do. The work that we have been given to do is to love people into the kingdom. Love people into the kingdom. So let me just ask, is that something you want to do? Do you want to love people into the kingdom? I, I think so. I want to love people into the kingdom. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for a moment and, and I'm going to ask you just to reflect upon your earthly life. Get heaven out of the picture here just for a moment. Okay? Focus on this life that you're living here on earth at this moment. Think of in this earthly life that you have, think of the thing that is your greatest desire. Talking about earthly things here, okay? The thing that you desire most on this earth. Just, just take a moment to think. I'm going to just be quiet for, for a few moments. And just think about it. What is your passion here for earthly things? What are you passionate about? Got something in your mind? It might be a trip to Hawaii. It might be that nice new big house that 
expensive car. Your family. Now, if we take that passion that we have for something, some people might be really passionate about art, music, painters. Uh, there's a lady who, uh, she's in her 90s and she quilts for the gleaners. She's made thousands of quilts. It's her passion. Now, if we take that desire, that earthly desire that we have, that passion, that desire for the unsaved in this world ought to exceed it abundantly. It ought to be far more powerful when we see the person that, that sits across us who doesn't know the Lord or when we have a family member who doesn't know the Lord or a friend or somebody that we're working with. That desire in our hearts for that person to come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ should far exceed any earthly desire that we have. All of us see people on the street. We see people in the shopping malls. We see people at work. We see people everywhere that we go. How much concern do we have for their eternity? I walk by people all the time. And I don't even think about where they're going. I'm in the mall. The person walks by. My thought isn't even on their salvation. It's on what I want to buy or, or what I'm there for. But that ought not to be the way that we think. We're ineffective because we're not thinking that way. Our loved ones. People who are part of our, our everyday lives. Their salvation ought to consume us. If we have the heart of Christ, they ought to consume us. I, I can only imagine that Jesus looked at every single person with that view in mind. He knew they were going down the wrong road. And he wanted to change that for them. Isn't there something in our hearts that cries out? I want to see that person get saved. I want to see that person come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to see that person spend eternity in hell. I'm going to come at this from a little different angle. Remember, our purpose is to glorify Christ. Our purpose is to glorify God. That's why God's got us here, to glorify him. And I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and, and say this. Most of us probably do not start with our day thinking, you know, God has got something for me to do today. Most of us probably 
get up in the morning or wake up in the morning and think, let's see, what have I got to do today? And then we think of all the different things that we've got to do. And then you know what we do? We pray and we say, God, I've got this to do and I've got that to do and I've got this project that I got started. God, would you help me get all these things that I have to do, help me get them done. Help me do the things that I want to do. And you know what happens? Is that God becomes the means rather than the end. God becomes the means for our agenda rather than us looking at what's on God's agenda. Because God has something for you and for me to do. But the way we start our day is usually this is our agenda, not God's agenda. You know, very often that's also why we come to church. We come to get something. Because coming to church is about me. It's not about serving God. Back in Murnham, where we were ministering many years ago, I preached a message, and at the end of the message, I had someone who got up and said, Hey, Pastor, I don't want to hear what you just told us. Because you know what? I have a tough week. And when I come here, I want to be filled. I'm empty. I need to be filled. I need you to fill us. I need you to give me something that will take me through the next week. It wasn't about God. It was about that person. What they wanted, what they needed, what they thought they needed. That person wasn't on God's agenda at all. This may be you. And you might be thinking, you know what? I've poured out a lot for God. I've spent years serving on the board. I've spent years teaching Sunday school. I've spent years leading a Bible study. Leading worship. I've put my time in. I've done a lot for God. Now I want to sit back and I want to enjoy what God has for me. I want to enjoy what I like about church. I want church to be about me. Shouldn't a little bit of it be about me? I mean, I've given so much. But let's just stop for a moment. Let's think about this. Isn't God the Almighty? Isn't God above all things? Isn't God perfect in every way? Isn't God holy? Like, like holy, holy, holy. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. 
He is majestic in every way. And God comes to us and he says, I've got something for you to do. I've got something for you to do. Isn't it an honor to serve God in whatever capacity? And God asks us to do something. It's our reward, isn't it? God asks us to do something. We're, we're rewarded with that blessing of being able to do something for him. God said to Abraham, he said, go, I'm taking you out of your family and, and sending you to a place which I will show you. God, Abraham didn't say, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Is this about me? No, Abraham went. He thought it a privilege to be removed from his family to do something for God. When Moses stood in front of the burning bush, God said, go save my people. Go save my people. We know the story. Moses was humbled. He was humbled. He said, I, I can imagine Moses saying, God, are you talking to me? You want me? Listen, God, I, I killed a man. And, and then I, I ran away from my responsibility. And, and I've been hiding for the last 40 years. You want to use me? Moses didn't see himself as up for the task. But when Moses came to his senses, I'm sure it was like, whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. I get to be used by God. Wow. I get to be used by God. Eighty years later, and Moses goes, I get to be used by God. Whoa. This is unreal. This is, this is fantastic. What about people like Noah? Or Paul or Peter or, or all of the other disciples? They gave their lives to the ministry because they saw it as a privilege, an honor, a way to glorify God. Their reward was serving. <clears throat> serving God was a reward in itself. And so we find thirdly here that glorifying God is rewarding. We were made for a purpose. The very reason we were created, the very reason we're alive is to bring glory to God. It's the way why we live, why we breathe. Paul didn't quit doing it. Not right, right till the very end, Paul was doing it. There were many others in Scripture that we could use. But Paul, at the end of his life, he writes this in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6 to 8, Paul writes this, he says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Paul knew that he only probably had a few days to live. He knew his life was over. 
but he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is now, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, the end of my life has come. I haven't stopped. But I've got a I've accomplished the things that God has asked me to do. Now is my reward. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could take this attitude? Say, I've never stopped working for you, Lord. I'm not, I've never stopped giving. Every day, every day. And if we had this attitude, wow, God has asked me to do something. And, and, and guess what? As, as my days are ending, I did what God asked me to do. I brought glory to God in all the things that he's asked me to do. I want to ask you this. When was the last time that you thought about what God wanted you to do. When was the last time you thought about what God wanted you to do? When was the last time that you prayed, God, it's such a privilege to serve you. What do you want me to do? What have you got in store for me, for my life? I recognize there are probably some of us who do that every day. There's some of us who probably get up in the morning and say, God, my life is yours today. What have you got for me to do today? But for others, for some of us, it may have been a long time. And, and, and we've gotten caught up in this, in this world of every day. We've gotten caught up in, in, in the fact that we've got a mortgage to pay. We got caught up in, in the work we're doing. We're, we're caught up in, 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 in all the different hobbies that we have. We've got kids. We've got debts. Uh, maybe we're climbing the corporate ladder. But maybe it's time we got back on God's agenda. Not our own. Maybe it's time we got back on God's agenda. Not one of us knows how long we're going to live. We could only live till tomorrow. Next week, next month, over the next year. Let's assume that God says, I've got you alive for a very specific reason for this next week or this next month or this next year. Let's ask this question. See, we're assuming that God has us alive for this time. The question is, why? Why does God want to keep us alive till tomorrow or next month or next year? What is the reason for God wanting us to be alive? Why are we here? Why does God, what does God want us to do? 
tomorrow, next week, next month. These are tough questions. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. I'm going to ask them to play softly. And I want us to take some time to reflect, to contemplate, to think. I want us to take some time to to talk to God. I want you to ask. If you, if, if you understand this whole concept of my life is to glorify God, then I want to ask you to ask God, God, why am I here? Why am I here? What is it that you have for me to do? I'm going to ask all of us to stand. If it's possible, if you have trouble standing, I'm not asking you to stand. But I want you to stand. We're going to have some prayer time. Before we go into this prayer time, I want you to understand that, that there are different postures for prayer. In this Bible, we have sitting postures and kneeling postures and bowing There's place for bowing, for standing, for for, for lifting up our hands, for for, for walking, for for being prostrate before the Lord. And, And I have no doubt that you have had different postures as you prayed. You've had God move in you in a certain way to to bring you to your knees or or to bring you into a standing position or or to, to have you fall prostrate before him. I've gotten you to stand because when you're sitting, it's very difficult to move and do something that God wants you to do. When you're sitting, you're always afraid. I'm going to be the first to stand up or I'm going to be the first to move. But this morning, as the music is being played, I'm going to invite you to talk to God in the posture that you love. So you're going to be free to sit down. You're going to be free to stand. You're going to be free to come to the altar. You're going to be free to to walk the floor. However However you communicate to God, that's what's important. So we're just going to take a few moments a minute or two as the worship team is playing I want you to take that posture and to talk to God for myself I come in the sanctuary every morning and I just love to walk and pray for me that's my close communion with God so let's ask God God why am I here What have you got for me to do? Father, it's a good question. And I know so often 
I've asked you to be on my agenda. So often I've said, God, I've got these things to do. Would you help me? And I know, Lord, that there's nothing wrong with me asking for help. But am I putting my agenda ahead of you? God, I want to put your agenda first. I want to ask you, why am I here? Why do I live at the address that I am living at? Why am I attending this church? Lord, why is this person or that person involved in my life? God, what have you got for me to do? Lord, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit move in me and bring me onto your agenda. Prayer is the beginning. Prayer is the beginning of getting direction. When we come to God and we ask, we're asking for God to feed into our lives. And when we get direction, we've got to come back to God and we've got to ask, God, is, is there a redirection for my life? When you go home, this here is, is only the beginning. But when you go home, I want to encourage you. Take time to pray. And ask God. And then go back and ask God again. And go back and ask God again. And keep asking until God shows you exactly what he wants you to do. Say, God, what have you got for me? I want your help. Let me see what you have for me. When you leave here today, I want you to leave here today knowing that God has something for you. It doesn't matter how old or how young. Sometimes we think, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. You know, all of us can talk to a neighbor. All of us can do an act of kindness. All of us can show love. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how old or how young. I believe that God has something for every one of us. That's why we're still here. That's why God hasn't taken you home. Because he still has something for you to do. And so when you go home, know that God has something for you to do. And know, know that it is an honor and a reward to serve God. It's an honor and a reward. I want to leave you with that this morning. Father, I thank you.
Thank you that you have something for us. As we leave this place today, may it be that we cannot get that out of our mind, but that constantly you put that in front of us, that we would yield to you. Thank you, Father, for that privilege. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.